My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo. It's our last pod of the season with someone near and dear to my heart. He's a singer, he's a songwriter, he is a rock and fit god, Paul Banks. Many of you know him from Interpol, but he's also released multiple solo albums, collaborated with RZA of Wu-Tang Clan, and also the band Muzz. Paul has been a friend of mine for years, and someone I've been trying to get on the pod since we started. He spent most of this past year in Berlin, working and writing the next Interpol album. But he generously hung out with us for a bit to talk shop, clothes, music, and more. I could not pick a better person to end this season with, and I hope you enjoy this. Paul and I discuss his love of boxing, sonnets, health food, gym workouts to Mars Volta, writing the new Interpol album, getting fits off in Berlin, his loafer collection, and what clothes he's been feeling lately. I'm so glad you're here. Here's my conversation with Paul Banks. So you're in Berlin right now? Yep. Yeah, I live in Berlin. Um, I've been well. Uh, I mean, pandy here, pandy there. But uh, all in all, I've, I've, I've been okay for the last like two years. Yeah. Um, I was in Edinburgh at the beginning, like last March, and then I moved to Berlin in November. Okay. Yeah, dude. Uh, Berlin is good. I do a lot of athletics and I work, I'm writing a lot of music. That's, yeah. that's where my life is at at the moment. Because you're, you're on the full glow up right now. You've been, you've been boxing? Yeah. Yeah. Boxing, boxing and running. How'd you get into boxing? Um, my, like, I always was interested in, in combat sports and shit. Like even as a kid, um, <laughs> I wanted to, you know, saw like the karate kid and, um, some crazy movie with a one inch punch. There's like an eighties movie. <laughs> Not that it's like, is it the last dragon? It might be the last dragon. Oh, shit. Anyway. Yes, like with Leroy. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, show, and show enough. Fucking mm-hmm. classic. Anyway, there's that, there was that, and there was Karate Kid, and I, I used to always want to uh, do some kind of martial art. And then in college, I did a little bit of martial art. And then after college, I did some more, like just trying to find something. Like I, I, there was a moment where like Krav Maga was really trendy. And so I was like, I did karate at NYU, like, you know, I, like intramural um, in classes. And then I did some Krav Maga stuff like at the Y and it was just not, not my bag, man. Like I, I'm not really great in groups or like, mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't like the, the, um, I didn't know what it was that I didn't like about it, but I didn't like it. So then fast forward and my, uh, girlfriend at the time was training in boxing. And first I sort of asked this trainer, like, Hey, do you know somebody who could like teach me Krav Maga? And then I went to work with somebody else. Um, and then nothing came of that because I didn't really vibe with the other guy. And then I circled back to this first trainer. And just because his thing was boxing, I basically looked into boxing in a one-on-one training setting. And for me, that was all the difference. It wasn't so much like which martial art, I think at the time it was more like, now I get it. Like it's just like one-to-one as in my progress is really contingent on my own input to this rather than like whatever the class is learning today is what I'll be doing. Right. Um, Granted, I think, you know, I, I think one can learn boxing very well through classes. Uh, I think I just, um, 
because I had the opportunity to do it a different way. I preferred just doing it one-on-one. Right. Um, you know, yeah. In retrospect, I look back and realize like you could really learn this a whole different set of ways, but that's just the way that kind of got me sucked into it. Um, and I then kind of feel like you get into this love affair with boxing. I think a lot of people get hooked on it. And I think part of it is there's like, it's a little bit like the fight equivalent of, um, uh, like, is it iambic pentameter that Shakespeare wrote in and kind of a like, or, um, yeah, exactly. Iambic pentameter. Very like strict, um, um, parameters to certain poetry, like haiku has like really specific amount of syllables. And then there's a, there's another type of like, uh, I think sonnets, uh, have a specific syllable count and a specific rhyme scheme. Mm-hmm. And I remember sort of thinking at the time, like when I've like studied, I did English lit and so we're doing poetry, I think in high school. And when I was younger, I figured that any poetry that had like rules sucked and like <laughs> only free form poetry is like, you know, that was some shit from the past before they knew how to communicate, man. And like right. true poetry has no fucking syllable count and like doesn't rhyme. But then you go back and you read some of these fuckers who wrote like sonnets. Um, like I think John Don, I think did some like beautiful sonnets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember kind of like it hit me one day that like sometimes those like uh, restrictions within the form actually wind up enhancing it. It's almost like Shakespeare communicates better by virtue of regulating how many syllables and a rhyme scheme, which is counterintuitive because you think like language doesn't want to be put into a box and like framed that way or, or meaning doesn't want to be framed in a numerical fucking framework. Right. But lo and behold, it must be some kind of strange secret to language. I feel like there's certainly no evidence that like Shakespeare was constrained in his ability to convey meaning. It's almost like sometimes those, um, uh, constraints uh enhance the output so there's some analogy in that uh with boxing to me where it's sort of like you can argue like it's a combat sport but that you can't kick and so like right there if you were like fighting somebody in the street like that's stupid because in a fight to the death like you would want to know wrestling and fucking jujitsu and yeah right and you would and like you'd kick people you know most likely in a fight to survive yeah and you do a lot, all kinds of things which are technically like illegal in sports, but like boxing has some regulations, which, you know, if you were a pure mixed martial artist, you'd say like, that's almost arbitrary, but it's actually like, I think very poetic, like it's just hands, it's just hands to like the upper body. And that's all you can use in this sport because those restrictions and those constraints actually like the art form that has emerged from that is like so poetic and so fucking beautiful. And I think when it's boxing is done uh, well, it's really a majestic uh, thing to behold. So I've sort of like, yeah, I just really love in love with the sport and really immersed in it. Yeah, I mean, and you get, because I have a a buddy of mine who's really, really into boxing. And the biggest thing that he, you know, like, I think that surprised him was just the amount of, like, endurance required. Because, I mean, it's so fast. And so, I mean, he's, he's doing jump ropes. He's doing, you know, he's running. He's, I mean, and I feel like, Everyone should have kind of known that because it's like we've all seen Rocky, right? Where like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> his routines are intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like that stuff. And he would just be constantly be doing, you know, jump rope and just like all the endurance needed for that. Because, I mean, if you spar and you do that, I mean, just even a short round, I mean, you're just you're zapped and it just takes yeah, so much out of you. Yeah. 
the first time I did like very light sparring, like my very early on sparring, I made it like like one round and I was like hallucinating. I've never been so fatigued in my life. It's just, it really takes you out, out of you. But that's one of the things that's really poetic about it is that when you kind of get to understand it, like the pure physicality of it is very energy draining. But like in the early stages of your first time sparring, like a lot of the energy you're losing is mental because you're just like all freaked out and like way uptight and like adrenaline. And that just like completely drains your, your strength. So like one of the things that like, a, you know, an elite fighter is, is like calm as fuck. So like, there's like no emotional energy that you can contain that's being wasted. No mental energy is being wasted. Um, like, yeah, conservation of your energy is a big, big facet of it. And yeah, being really relaxed and loose is supposedly a big secret performance wise and endurance wise. Yeah. Did you ever hear Bill Murray said something like that, that he's like, basically there's like nothing in life that you're not going to do better. Um, totally relaxed. Oh shit. I mean, I guess that being in the right mental state, especially now is the key to anything, right? Everyone's talking more about meditation and all these things like get your head right before you do anything. Mm -hmm. and, I mean that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Damn. So <laughs> how long have you been boxing? I mean, cause I felt like the, when we had lunch that one day, like it, it had seemed somewhat newer to you, but you've been doing this a while now, right? I mean, yeah, I think it's like eight, nine years, dude. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe even ten. I know. Time is zooming. Yeah, dang. Yeah. Um, but and it's yeah, it's a really you know you can so there's some people like if you're a kid you can like start boxing at like 15 and go pro at 18. You know, it's like some people can learn it extremely quickly. Uh, <laughs> it's taken me a long time. <laughs> Did you? Did you have to change up your diet and stuff? Because like all just the constant energy needed to exert yourself. It's got to be through the roof. If I was going to have like a fight fight, I would definitely need to like live for like six weeks with a specific like a also like I do the I do the exercise load like a sufficiently, let's say, but I also like eat total bullshit. So I've yeah, I've talked to like a trainer recently, like if I had a fight coming up in two months, like what would I do differently? And the first thing he said was like, you want to train at the hour of the day that you'd be fighting so if it's in the evening like make sure you're training or sparring at that time of day mm. for a while which is like pretty smart if you think about it like you hear stories of floyd mayweather keeping like ridiculous hours yeah and if you think about it all of a sudden it's like oh fuck like his peak performance moment would come at like midnight on a day where he's going to work or like 11 p.m so it's like that's why his whole body's got to be configured so that he's like absolute like, peak of his day around fight time Right. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, right? And the other thing he said is like, no more eating bullshit. No, no more fucking, like no bread, dude. You know, and that's like, right now I still eat shit. If anything, like boxing and exercising a lot just gives me the carte blanche to kind of, I eat whatevs, bro. <laughs> Yesterday I bought um, like a flamer, <laughs> butane flamer. Yeah. Because I bought some like creme brulee, like just creme brulee to go at this like nice <laughs> boutique deli store that's near me. Okay. And it just has two little glass pots with like foil over it. And then a little sachet is attached to the top of the foil, which you open, it's like brown sugar. So you just pour the brown sugar over the top of this like creme brulee. And then I, the first time I did it, I did it with like a lighter. because <laughs> so I was like, holy <laughs> shit, they gave me like, <laughs> like they want me to flame my own creme brulee. And then for the next one, I went out and bought the butane thing. Like, and I just fucking flamed that one last night. And damn, so good. Yeah, I uh I work out to eat. 
Like, yeah. quarantine hit, or, well, this was, I guess, after we moved, but, like, in January, I was like, okay, I was like, I'm really going to hit the gym. Like, I'm going to do this. And I've been going, I go to the gym six days a week, and I've been going there since January. And it's been nice, but, like, I realized that, you know, like, my body changed a tiny bit, but it's basically been so I can, you know, eat pizza or eat mm-hmm. ice cream or eat all this stuff. But, like, I'm getting old. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, yeah, you got to you gotta go plant-based. Every single friend of mine is all about trying to go plant-based. I, mm. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And what is their argument? Just because heart disease, that kind of thing? Uh, well, I'll say for most of these folks, it's because it's cool. Um, yeah. And just like, oh, yeah, plant-based is really cool. And all these other people are doing it. Um you know, but I think a lot of it is really more about people are it's it's all been playing telephone from the Tom Brady workouts where it was all like anti-inflammatory foods. So um, not having, I don't know, nightshades, not having this. But it's like if you do that and it's like, yo, I got a toddler and I'm working with multiple <laughs> Bro. jobs. I can't do Bro. this. Tom Brady has a guy who's whole like, you know, gets 200 grand a year just to do that. Yeah, exactly. That, that alone, like, get him his shit to eat. Like, I don't even know if that's a conservative estimate on a fucking full time nutritionist. Like, exactly. So we're not like Tom Brady. I, think he, you know, I mean, it's interesting to know what a guy like that does, but bro, he's got so much fucking money. It's insane. There's a really cool. There's a boxer from Long Island, I think, named Chris Algieri, who actually fought Pacquiao once, and he um, he wrote a book of like like a cookbook that he's often promoting on his Instagram uh, oh. and he posts food and it's like very inspiring. Cause like that dude eats healthy as fuck, but it like always looks amazing. Yeah. And I think that's an example of like, I know he was a cook for other boxers. I think he was like the chef for this guy. Um, uh, bruh. He's like Brooklyn's own um, Danny Jacobs. Oh, okay. I don't know if you, he's a, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I know Chris Algier like worked as a as a chef for other fighters by working for Danny Jacobs before one fight, but yeah, his uh, cookbook and his dishes look amazing and super healthy. I don't think it's plant based though. I remember somebody pointing out once that you never hear of like clogged arteries from you know vegetarianism, and I think I think clogged arteries like or just blood pressure issues, cholesterol issues, heart issues. Um, you know, they're all like, and then I think they even kind of heard somebody liking like cancer with red meat too, but I don't know if that's really, if there really is a correlation, but like, and I think that's a compelling argument, but then I also feel personally that, especially when I've been like really, really active, which I just like, I don't know, man, I, I, I couldn't go plant-based and to, to get to what I'm trying to say, I don't think I could go full plant-based either. Um, yeah. I mean, because I feel like if. I I would be one of those people that I need to like know which supplements I need to take to get which like fucking omega oils and fatty yeah. amino acids to like, yeah. you know, that have to combine because apparently it's like not all that easy to, sim- you know, to simulate like meat proteins. Um, exactly. They have certain kind of muscle building properties. And, and that's the thing, right? Because if if you were to go plant-based and you're not doing like, you know, high intensity athletics, I would say it's a little bit easier, but it's like, for me, I'm trying to gain more muscle. I'm trying, and I'm, look, I'm sure it's possible. Someone's going to DM me or whatever and be like, oh, actually, 
but it's like i don't want to take four different powders in the morning i don't mm-hmm. want to have yeah like i already have um what is that stuff that collagen i started taking the the collagen powder in the morning yeah and then i, I heard re- about that like for for skin and kind yeah of, for and skin. ligaments and shit yeah because the biggest thing is like i you know i'm at the gym or i'm running and my knees have just been really bad uh, yeah, yeah but, and i was yeah, like but. yeah what so t- what do you do at the gym what's your main what's your uh, approach so I do six to seven different workouts. So I like started keeping a gym journal because a friend of mine was like, if you're going to do this, you need to like keep a journal. So he's like, mm-hmm. go get one of those field notes or any sort of tiny journal and you need to write out your workout. And then you don't want to do the same workout every week. So you need to be swap- swapping things up. So like today, like after this, I'm going to do 25 minutes on the bike and the bike will be a, a mixture of, you know, high intensity uh, interval. And then I'll get off that and then I have free weights and today is um, back and legs. So, uh, And you know which proper exercises to do with free weights to target your back? Yeah, so I the first thing I did is um, I did a few days with a trainer mm, and right. he helped me out with like, this is the correct way to do it. And then he was like, then he handed me this thing because I, I mean, I didn't have the money to keep hiring him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I use this app called FitBod. And so you put in the type of gym that you're at. So it's like, I mean, you know, I'm at a Planet Fitness. I'm not anything crazy, but they have. And it's like, okay, you're at Planet Fitness. They have all of these different things. And it's like, what are you trying to do? It's like, well, I'm trying, I'm strength training. So I'm trying to build muscle. And so uh, it'll give you, you know, for a 90 minute workout, which is what I'll try to do. It'll say like, okay, here's your, your first part of cardio. And then you have all these different sets. And then when you're doing them, it'll say like, how difficult was that? And so you could say like, this was maximum mm. exertion. This was, you know, and then every uh, few days, it'll have you recalibrate that. So it's like, I went from my maximum exertion with just like free weights on the bench was, I think it was like, maybe like 60 pounds. And now I'm at probably about like 100, 120. Um mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I'm not like jacked or anything, but it's like it you it slowly works you up to that. So it baselines Mm -hmm. you and then there's little videos that you can watch and it'll show you the correct form of how to do it. But then for things that are really nuts, like back and doing like good mornings and those sort of things, where you're kind of doing the bows with the stuff on the back of your head. um, I'll try to bring my friend in to kind of coach me through like brand new back exercises and things like that that I've never done. So I don't hurt myself. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that all sounds very smart, dude. That sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. I mean, I yeah. Think <laughs> a lot of times, like the idea of having a trainer regularly, you know, it's really just a motivation thing. I don't think you actually need that, you know, like the way that you're doing it by just sort of educating yourself on some things and then having a specialist tell you like how to not throw out your back periodically when you try something new. Yeah. That's like, you know, I think if you can generate your own motivation, then nobody, you don't need a trainer all the time unless you're going to learn something new. And then I think that's, that's a good system. Yeah. The crazy thing though, is what working out has done to my music taste. <laughs> yeah. Like swear to God. So, and I'm curious what, what you, what you've been listening to when you work out, because, um, so first off, I just listened to audiobooks, and mm-hmm. that was okay. But like, I realized that like there wasn't that much intensity. And when I was talking to my friend, he was like, yo, he's like, put on 
He's like, yo, go put on like Enter Sandman and see what that does. And I'm like, what are you talking, you know? And I did. And it was, and I mean, some of it was the rhythm of it. But like, next thing you know, I felt like a G as I'm like pumping iron. You got like Kirk Hammond blasting in your ears. Mm -hmm. And it's like, put on, turn on the bright lights. Dead serious. And next thing you know, I'm on the bike and I'm flying. And it's Mm -hmm. like the best I've ever felt. But it's tough because maybe it's because of like weird emotional self-esteem issues. But I feel like if I'm not learning something, like maybe I'm like hurting myself. So I'll be like, well, I got to go find time and I got to, I got to read this other book or I got to, I got to listen to this podcast to make sure I'm, I'm like educating myself. So, but it's like, if I'm listening to music when I'm working out, I, it's, I mean, I can seriously do the workouts. It's like, it's amazing. So wait, were you saying like, you always got to be improving yourself. Is that anything to do with how you used to listen to like books on tape while you're working out so that you were actually like making yourself smarter while also making your body fitter at the same time like double duty well and now you're treating yourself to just music that helps in the workout yeah because i also feel like if i'm working out sometimes that's a little bit selfish uh when it's Mm. like i should be trying to help someone else so i'm like okay well maybe i'll I'll try like in a dumb way i was like maybe i'll be trying to educate myself or learn more about what's going on in the world and so it's like i you know i was reading all these books about um, you know, systemic race or listening to about systemic racism. I was, um, you know, then I, I started going through a ton of history books during quarantine where it's like, all right, I'm going to just learn everything I can about the European theater and the Pacific theater. And I read, um, you know, just all of these things in a way that's like, okay, like I'm, I'm having a mental stimulation, but if you're, if you're listening to history and you're trying to, you know, get your heart rate up to like 195 you can't have it when malcolm gladwell is slowly speaking in your ears like you, mm-hmm. you gotta have some music like you yeah know? i see yeah i i hear you i did metallica yeah for a while uh running i did um basically metallica i didn't actually go as recent as Ender Sandman. i mean the black album is dope as fuck don't get me wrong but i went to sort of early ride the lightning and uh um, yeah you're a real head you know like the first three records basically was what I was doing while I was running. Yeah. Then I was, you know, which dude, I got one for you. Yeah, I, I got one. Fucking right. check, get into D Loust at the Comatorium while you're fucking working out. That's Mars Volta. Oh, Bruh. dude. Yeah. Oh, Bruh. oh yeah. <laughs> that one is so, I mean, also, cause if you're just doing like a mile run or something, you can just like put on one song <laughs> and run a yeah. mile and like, and it's peaking. Like when you're getting close to the end, it's fucking that record is a masterpiece. That's a modern classic. Hearing Omar but Rodriguez in your ear is uh, that that that's that that's that's going to get you running. <laughs> Everything on that record is incredible. But yeah. I also, you know, I will say, like, I have heard, and it kind of like it's one time I get it. Like, I think sometimes people's experience of Interpol and my experience of Interpol, it's like there's it's a very different thing that sometimes basically the times that i've heard people kind of talk about the exercise thing which is a lot it's just like that always makes sense to me and i think it might be because i also kind of hear interpol while we're working on music like as a fan of sam and so a lot of times i feel like it just speaks to me almost like i'm not in the band when people say like i like listening to interpol when i work out because 
as a fan of Sam, our drummer, myself, I kind of feel like, fuck yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> like that shit will totally get you pumped for a run. And like, there's something in the, in some of the rhythms that I think are really good. So it's, it's always nice to hear that because it speaks to me. Well, I mean, this is something that, you know, I've talked to a handful of other musicians and one of the things that, especially with someone like you, where you guys, your music has has basically been ingrained into the culture now, right? Like Interpol uh, to many people represents very different but strong memories, right? So like an mm-hmm. example for me is Turn On The Bright Lights was I got a car and it was the very first thing I wanted to put on. Like I had a, you know, I had my CD player and the electronic skip protection. I had all this bullshit and, I, you know, it was all set up. So I could get in the car and listen to NYC and it was, it was a feeling of like freedom, but I never knew what everything was about. But to me, those songs, you know, and this is a thing where it's like, I'm curious how you feel when, when like fans kind of almost reappropriate the work that you made into their own really strong memories. And so you have someone like Bob Dylan who is like, I don't care. Like, if that song means that to you, go for it. If this song means that to you, go for it. And then you have other people that are like, no, 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 this song means this. And if you're turning it into your workout music, like, you know, that, that's, that was never the intention. And I'm just nah, curious how nah, you nah, sit on nah. that. Yeah, no, I, I, think, um, I think anyone's enthusiasm in any form towards the music is fantastic. And like, I, I'm honored and proud. And that's amazing feedback, whatever the... Um, yeah, I mean, I've had people say that it's good for, you know, um, Netflix and chill, you know, kind of situations if you catch my drift. Um, (laughs) and I, I, that also speaks to me. I mean, I, anybody enjoying the music in any instance, I think it's sometimes it's like there's pieces of music where, because they're my own and the way my own psyche is made up, like I don't love all of it. (laughs) And so sometimes there's stuff that people are expressing like love for where I kind of like, it's it's butting up against my own craziness, not against like, it's got nothing to do with like, that's not how you should be appreciating the song. Like any fucking way anybody appreciates the song works for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's more just a, like unabashedly, I don't feel self-conscious if we're talking about sort of like the working out context of it or something, because I'm not really expressing myself well, but I, it's an instance where I can get out of my own head with regards to my own self-criticism because I just mm. tell myself that what we're referring to is the rhythm section and I also love the rhythm section. So, but with a lot of other things like, you know, um, yeah, I don't love all my work and I think I'm a little bit of a, a head case with regards to that stuff and being sensitive. NYC is a song I really like a lot though. That also I can understand. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And, and I remember that's too- a, vibe, a vibey piece. Yeah, like when I first when I first moved to New York, I had my iPod, you know, and you I had my playlist for like walking around and I was like, okay, I was like I'm going to go all the way from Battery Park and I'm going to walk all the way up to, you know, like to 150th. And I was like I'm going to do it. And Damn. I yeah, well I mean this is when I was, you know, younger and dumber, but like I had um I basically went through Turn on the Bright Lights and Antics and just had that over and over again listening to it and it was like and so all of my like earlier memories of like freedom and joy and like the energy Mm -hmm. of the city is completely intertwined with interpol like there i can't i can't go down university (laughs) place 
or go around NYU and not hear, you know, um, antics or anything like that. Like, it's just, it's, it's a part of my life. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's yeah. really wonderful to hear. Yeah. Um, you, so you've been, you've been starting to write music again. What, how has, uh, how has it been? Like, do, are you, do you, are you just writing Interpol stuff right now? Are you just kind of writing and then you figure out what, what song it should be for what project based on the mood or? Um, well, no, it's like, Interpol stuff comes from Daniel first, and then I sort of address that with my input. Uh, mm -hmm. And because of the pandemic, it's really worked very clearly in that order. Um, mm. Normally, we'd be together, and Daniel would start playing like Sam and I stuff that he's been working on, and then we start building together. Um, in this case, because the pandemic has been like over email, so I've been contributing that way, and then. Sam also then like gets an email track of whatever base idea like I had initially. Um, and we've been working remotely like that. And then we just got together a couple of times and like then worked in person for two separate writing sessions. Um, and kind of like solidified a lot of that music in person. Um, but then while I'm here in Berlin right now, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, polishing up lyrics and working out vocal parts for songs that are pretty much written on that interval. And then I'm also like jamming on some ideas that will just be solo stuff. Um, yeah. Right now I'm kind of like in a very in, in music mode actually. Yeah. Is, I'm pretty are, excited. It's been, it's cool. Oh, I suppose oh, something to say about that the pandemic aspect of it and like how writing music has been. Like, it's, it's been really cool. I think, you know, in a strange way, uh, the force, forcible changing of method uh, that the pandemic put upon us as a collective of musicians, like no matter what, it's going to be different. And I think given it's like our seventh record, I think, um, I feel like there's something to be said just for like, that'll be, maybe it's interesting to be forcibly having to write music by emailing some tracks back and forth and like a, a exploring a different way of writing an interval album. And I think in particular, it's been kind of interesting vocally because it's just allowed me to sort of address the music with headphones on, whereas normally I'm addressing the music like amplified in the room with Sam going fucking crazy. And that kind of lends to like a shouty intensity to some of the music, whereas now it's like, I'm just in my bedroom. So a lot of songs that like could have gone aloud and raucous way have gone like a bit more of a chill direction. And I think that's fun and new. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. Like, that's, you know, it's it's funny. This has come up in so many shows I've done lately, but it uh, it's like the Brian Eno oblique strategy stuff where it's just like, okay, you have, like we were talking about at the very beginning, you have new constraints to the art you have to create. And so what sort of new art is going to, you know, come out from that experience? You know, I know that like Rick Rubin has done some of the things in the past where he basically puts time limits on recordings. Now, it might be just a very cool way for him to do multiple projects at the same time. But like, he's like, okay, you do what you do in these days, and that's it. And then you take a break and think about it. You can think and do whatever you want, but then you're going to come back and then we're going to play together again. And so it's like all of these sort of breaks in, you know, in recording and in writing or being together has, you know, it lets people take their own ideas and then continue to kind of like meld them and figure out if it's, you know, whether they want to bring it back or how intense they're going to feel when they do. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really cool. I think definitely that sounds like a smart approach. I think, as you said, like it could just be a logistical thing that like makes sense, but I, I do trust him to be functioning on a more artistic level. Uh, so I yeah. don't think it's likely that I think it's more that like you can do an idea that's spontaneous and that you're in love with in the moment and then live with it a little while. And you might realize that like, that is a great idea, but I only needed like one eighth as much as I was doing it in that session last time we were there. But like that can't occur to me until I've like forgot I wrote it and like gone somewhere else and come back and listened again. And then like, oh yeah, there's that line. Like, yeah, but that doesn't need to happen that often. You just take those away. So you get that insight of having like the dust settle on new music ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think imposing that could be a good idea. Getting away from the stress of it, getting away from the pressure of it, getting away from each other, you know, getting away from like any sense of sameness. So I think it works on those levels. And then I also know from experience of like when I was forced to like work faster or like put on the spot working with a collaborator where it's like, here we are in the studio and like, you're going to sing some shit. So like, you better go write some shit. Uh, I came to realize basically working with RZA that, you know, uh, I can laboriously go home and like, you know, figure out what I want to say with this song and what the general idea is even for a long time, you know, somewhere secure by myself, you know, or I just fucking do it right now. What's the idea? Like, let's go. It's like, and then I, so I think there is something to be said for like, hurry the fuck up. And like, we're going to put that as an imposition on this process right? and see what comes because like we, I think there's like a twofold thing to like, working for a long time in a creative medium one is that you refine your process so that it becomes more streamlined but then the other thing is kind of like streamlined can mean and feel like easy so then there's like do you want it to be you you want to reap the benefits of experience in the sense that that things become easier to you but then also you wouldn't want to get like have the illusion that like i'm not working hard enough and I think those are, those are difficult things to kind of balance. Like if your work becomes too easy, then maybe your work is no longer good because you're not challenging yourself or like pushing the envelope. Right. But that isn't to say that your artistic process shouldn't get easier because it probably should if you're like learning shit as you go about how you deal with your own creativity. So I deal with that. Like sometimes it feels like I'm, you know, things turned out that like I think they can be easier than I realized when it was first started out. Um, right that's all but then yeah but then once you go to down that vibe for a while then you start to think well like maybe shit shouldn't be this easy i mean that's that's tough too especially because you know like you're you know i'm sure you feel like oh like this is this is the interpol sound or this you know interpol needs to fit within this or muzz needs to fit within this and it's like you know i hope that you feel empowered enough that it's you it's whatever comes out of your head fits you know it doesn't have to be the shapes it's never been so contrived about like what sounds like what it's like daniel fucking sounds like daniel you know whether or not it's like his whether or not it's like the quarterly daniel sounds like daniel and then also the way he addresses his guitar sounds like daniel so there's like even if you transpose daniel's writing off of a guitar onto something else like i think many people would recognize it as like kind of like the way he puts chord structures together. Right. Um, so I feel like that's like baked in, you know, that, that right there is 
a massive part of what Interpol sound is, is just like how that guy plays guitar and what he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think how I address music vocally has to do with just what I'm hearing. You know, so it's like I react a certain way. Like I do what I do when I'm when I'm inspired by something Daniel's playing. And when I'm writing something as a solo artist, for instance, I might inspire my own vocal in a different way because I play my guitar and write songs a little differently. And if I work with Muzz, like I'm going to get different inspiration from my bandmates there mm-hmm. or how they're interpreting music that I'm introducing in that project. The same with like RZA. But I never think about like one thing should sound this way or that way. It's just like shit just sounds the way it sounds when I'm working with different collaborators. Um, yeah. What was because they sound different and they get me to do different shit by inspiring me with their different stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's true. What What was the last song or album you heard lately that you were like, "Holy shit, I wish I wrote that." Ah, uh, I've never really. I don't know. That's not that familiar of a feeling uh, for me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't feel that way about because I listen to rap music. So, like, I was thinking, like, like. I'm going to basically answer something about Kodak Black or J. Cole. And then that's the end of the question. I was like, okay, like, oh, but I didn't feel like I wished I wrote Kodak Black's last record. Um, right. So I don't really think there's anything like that for me. I do. I just admire other people's work. Um, when I do hear like indie rock or alt rock that I like, like a lot, I just admire somebody else's work, but I generally feel like, yeah, I don't know. I never wish I had done something. Yeah. Um, well, I, I can. All you can do is like I admire other people's talent and I enjoy some shit more than other shit. But I, at the end of the day, like I also like need to enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's also that's the kind of the key thing is like, am I having fun? Like, is this is this satisfying the kind of joy of art making for me? Well, maybe a better way to ask that question is like, was there an album or song that you heard recently that like really inspired you or excited you? Yeah. Um, the J. Cole record was was surprisingly really good. I liked yeah. his like last one, but not nearly as much as this. Um, and let me see. Did you hear the new Kanye from last night? No. I've never been first in line for Kanye. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think he's a very interesting individual, but I've never been like, I've never actually like sat down with 808 and heartbreak and like digested it as a piece of music. And I, you know, now it's really considered like a modern masterpiece. Yeah. I was going to say, and interesting. I, that's what you flag. Cause yeah, that's, that's the one that I feel like people, people really like. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't dislike it. I mean, the other day, like a uh, gold digger came on uh, on the radio. It was like, this song's fucking amazing. <laughs> Great and song. it's like old, you know, yeah. like that one thing about Kanye is like some of that old shit or some of the, the first record with Jay Z, um, and words in Paris is like that yeah. song slaps. Bruh. It's, it's great, like really. So I, yeah, I, I do like me some Kanye, and I find him a fascinating person. Like to kind of like he's like Conor McGregor in that they're like so strangely self, like like histrionically self-aggrandizing points in their career and then they follow through on this outlandish shit so like kanye was like positioning himself as like this picasso figure mastermind like i want to do all these things and at a certain point it kind of sounded like you know that's you know 
you ain't got to answer this way. Like Kanye yeah. was like, seemed almost kind of like you may be just dreaming. And then all of a sudden he like kind of does all of it. And he legitimately like now like has positioned himself in a way that like sounds a lot like the things that he predicted and announced of himself early on, which seemed like immodest and unrealistic. It's like that mentality that Kanye had is why Kanye has now like had this insane success, like doing really crazy shit within the fashion world. Uh, and also just becoming this kind of like really monumental artist. And I think once he started like saying the Pablo Picasso stuff, it's also kind of cool. Like Rizzo did a cool thing with this Wu-Tang record before NFTs. Like there was that one of a kind Wu-Tang record that some that that fucking that crazy Martin Shalecki yeah. wound up buying for two million bucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like what was genius about like Riz's idea there, like the idea of is like a record isn't some free, you know, or I mean, it is some free thing that you can just like email to somebody, but we need to remember that it's also like this human accomplishment and like art has weight and, and, you know, like kind of just to sort of remind people that like music is very valuable. Mm. And so by having a record that sells literally for 2 million bucks and there's only one of them, it sort of like brings it back to like, and you got to go to the album to hear it in the same way you got to go to the Louvre to like see the Mona Lisa you got to like go ask Martin Shkreli if you can listen to this. And I feel like that concept was really, really like, it was very interesting at the time. And I feel like as time advances, like, man, that was really a powerful gesture that he did there. Um, and I feel like, what is my point? There's some. We're talking about art and, and, and like, and how to release music and, and the accessibility of it. Um, Sorry, but just, oh, okay. So when Kanye as well, like was positioning himself like, um, like Picasso, it just like floats the idea that like, although you're a, um, an artist in a pop form, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also be considered or couldn't also be considered on the level of these greats. And so I kind of feel like I like that Kanye floated that and I feel like it has elevated him just by like announcing like I'm this level as an artist. And, yeah. like, people should be fucking like, really showing me you know i do respect and i think similarly like conor mcgregor just like said like i'm gonna do all kinds of crazy shit and then he went and did all kinds of crazy shit and it's like there's a very interesting phenomena there of just like um i guess manifestation and self-belief but like really cranked to the fucking 11. yeah well there's another thing too that's in that where culturally both of those people speak to their audience in a way that's like you can be here too like i didn't belong mm -hmm. and i was rejected but i did a b c and d and now i'm mm -hmm. here and i'm even better and so it, it's like an inviting part and so like when you have that and you create that empathetic connection with your with your fans they're like oh i i could do that therefore i'm inspired mm -hmm. to make all this music or to train or to you know whatever and i'm gonna be them because they they told me that I could, you know, and yeah. and that's that's always really exciting. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna talk about some fun materialism, <laughs> but um, right. what what if you know we, we were chatting at one point over text, and you had told me about some of the style stuff you were seeing out in Berlin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're always someone who I think has been far ahead of the curve on style and clothes from. 
you guys rocking suits, you know, in the early Interpol days to, you know, you showing up wearing Ame at breakfast that one day. It's just like you're you're I feel like you've always been on that next wave. And so I'm, I'm curious what you've been seeing and what you've been into lately. Um, yeah, I mean, what I wrote to you, I think, was that there was like a, a moment in time where some of the kind of like forward fashion that I was seeing was so costumey that I felt like it was almost like being worn fully ironically <laughs> and that like no one could actually like put on that outfit and be like, I look really cool right now. I'm going to go outside. You well, know, have you I seen Balenciaga? Kind of... Like that, that's their, that's their vibe. <laughs> well, what I, I mean, yeah, I know they're kind of blowing up, but like that ripped yeah. green t-shirt, like I didn't hate that ripped green t-shirt. That kind yeah. of looked like I'm with that one. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, like there was just like a moment of sort of like these little hats and like, um, like little beanies and round glasses and just <laughs> like, what did I say? Like, uh, berets are very hot right now. Everyone's like trying a, to like a, get a beret, a plain clothes police officer in like yeah. a 1960s <laughs> French detective movie. I mean, that sounds um, great. <laughs> I hear you. And also like, but then there's like the Cosby sweaters and like the kind of like real like early nineties kind of look. Here's one thing I watched like white men can't jump the other day. Oh yeah. Um, I showed that to my girlfriend who hadn't seen it before. And that fucking movie really holds up for one thing. But secondly, like some of the fashion is amazing, dude. Like Wesley Snipes is fucking clothes in that movie. Incredible. <laughs> like it's worth going back to like check some of the fits. Also like, yeah, if you look at Woody Harrelson, like even when he's supposed to be looking like, the you know the doofus uh those looks kind of look good now oh yeah um, yeah the best part um, of the modern age of clothing lately has been the fact that every single thing is acceptable like i can't imagine hmm. the the last thing i've seen recently that someone was wearing that i was like oh that's that's inappropriate or like, or that, that doesn't connect. Yeah. Like that, you know, what a great criticism. Yeah. That outfit is unacceptable. <laughs> I, need you to, I need you to know that unacceptable. <laughs> Just to a random yeah. person. I mean, no, I, I know what you're saying. Like it's, and that's, yeah, that's fashion is so much fun, man. Um, I don't think of anything like interesting. I mean, there's like the, yeah, I mentioned the Cosby sweaters, which are back, and like uh, '90s jeans and shit. I like sweatpants with like I saw this girl with um, like whatever college. Like, there's a team called the Eagles. I think I want to say it was like a. Hmm. Or is that only pro football? Uh, maybe it was like I don't know. Maybe it was like pro football merch sweatpants with like the elastic at the bottom, and then kind of like big boots. Like steel toed boots and like oh, a leather yeah. jacket. Yeah. And I was like, that looks that's the look, man. Like sweatpants and like fucking big old steel tips. Mm -hmm. You used to have, I don't know if you still have it, you had the long Tom Brown hat that turned into a scarf. Like I remember one of the times that you were at the beggar's office or the matador office, and you came in and you were rocking this like sick fucking Tom Brown hat that was like it was like a long stocking hat and then it turned into a scarf. Do you still have some of that stuff? Oh, like ski hat. Yeah, it was yeah, sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I just vaguely remember that. Um, 
Yeah, I don't have that anymore. I don't think maybe it's in storage. Yeah, I know. Dude, yeah. the Paul Banks archive sale. You got you got it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I found some old loafers. I had some pretty tight loafers back in the day. Also, like Interpol used to rehearse at this place on Eighth Avenue and Thirty Eighth Street, and there was like a shoe store like along Eighth Avenue back in like this back two thousand seven. Yeah, and just like patent leather, like beige patent leather fucking loafers and fucking like fake snake skin. Um, and I bought, I bought like so many cheap pairs of just like <laughs> faux leather loafers in outrageous colors, just like walking on my way to rehearsal, be like, dude, I gotta have those, man. And they were probably like 30 bucks. There you go. Oh, my favorite recent shoes. Yeah, I had some snakeskin shoes that I got like five years ago in Amsterdam that had been a personal, or like a real cherished possession. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in the I'm kind of in the like retro leisure wear. I think that's where I'm at. Actually, that's probably why the West of Snipes thing comes to mind. I think if anything, right now I'm in that. Um, and then I bought some blue corduroys the other day, which I'm feeling. Blue corduroys, okay. Yeah, yeah, like blue, like your hat blue, like oh, really. Okay. Yeah, they're doing. Oh, and I was toying with the idea of like fucking suspenders, bro. And my girlfriend was like, literally, like, nah. No, 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 no. I got you. She said, she said, she's like, you can get away with a lot of things, but like, I don't know about that. So, so I feel like I got to prove, I got to, you know, show her obviously that, you know, are these like, like Carlos suspenders? Like, no, I want to get like, I want to get like, I saw like a look in a window basically that was like green, like lime green pants, like mm-hmm. khakis mm-hmm. with like a pale blue button down and like darker blue suspenders mm-hmm. and a store. And then, you know, like a little bit, like a little ankle and some shoe socks yeah, and yeah. some like white loafers at the bottom. And then we're doing it. And I yeah. feel like, yeah, she just doesn't, I think she might be thinking something else, but to me, it's kind of like, how is this not dope? You know, this is going to be dope. I mean, that looks like, uh, what's it like that French filmmaker, um, do you did umbrellas of Cherbourg and all that stuff? Like, like the super classic, um, you know, French stuff where it was like people were wearing colors and they wanted to show it off because they were shooting in color film. And it's like, check out all these colors. Mm, that's um, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacques Demy. That's that's who it was. Yeah. But like, who's the other person that's done that? Like if there's like a Wes Anderson does some suspender mm-hmm. stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I have I have some really they're thin suspenders, but like you want to get the elastic ones, not like the big boy Wall Street Eaton stripe, not like the Michael okay. Douglas one, but like the thinner ones. And then, you know, you can wear it with anything. Old Dior, well, like Hedy Slimane had that. The, either, the Wall Street stuff, though, because you're talking about like a, with a black suit or like a navy suit, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. obviously that's not what I'm talking I'm not talking no, about of course. like fucking, you're, I see like a dark hued suspender with like red paisley in it, kind of like in the, in the Wall Street version, which is yeah. not, that's, it's, I'm not seeing that. I'm saying, okay. as I say, like, you know, lime green pants, like something looser, a little bit more playful. But that's the other thing. It's like, I think it also just depends on how you're feeling. And I think it's funny, like for me, like being in shape helps me wear clothes and appreciate fashion more. But what's interesting is I never really judge someone else's sort of like what their physique is. If an outfit rocks, like it really doesn't matter at all. Like whether or not like whatever kind of um, shape the person has, I feel like tight outfits rock, whatever shape. And I Mm -hmm. think that's an interesting part of it. But like 
for me knowing myself, I like to feel kind of like fit. And so there's like whole outfit ranges that I wouldn't go into if I wasn't feeling like, you know, tight. Um, and I think this, the suspender thing for me is going to go good, like a white tank top underneath, um, you know, these pants I was mentioning with a white tank top and suspenders. I feel like that's a look that is really great for me if I'm feeling like, you know, slim. Tony Soprano. Uh, Tony Soprano but like glow then, up. But that's the thing. Like, bro, yeah, you can be um you can be a husky chap and look fucking rock on in some suspenders. Uh it's really I think that really probably speaks to the idea of like it's how you feel. It's not so much about what you're wearing. Yeah, Rick Owens has said that a bunch where he said that like nothing will make you feel better like than than working out. And so like he like his thing is just like wear a t-shirt and jeans. And it's like it, since I've been hitting the gym more, you know, I've like started to wear regular t-shirts again where I used to be like I'm only wearing a colored shirt or I'm only wearing and now I'm like I'll wear a t-shirt and jeans and feel great. But it's like Yeah, I think I'm that's confident. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and that's that's the thing. But that's, and confidence is probably another key word because if you are a husky chap and you're not in shape, you're not hitting the gym, but you're confident, then that same outfit will look great. Touche. Yeah. Like it really will. And I really mean, like, I see like people of all shapes rocking outfits and being like, I wish I could wear something as well as this person's wearing it. It's just like for my, and it sounds like for you too, like you're kind of, we're in that gym mode where like yeah. we've got the, you know, <laughs> I get the pump in the gym, I get the pump when I'm at home. <laughs> no, it's it's, do you know it's this, great. Do you know what I'm referring to, by the way? Because you got to be full gym head. No, it's a pump. That, that, that's a Schwarzenegger thing from like a deep. Yeah, a when oldest. they did the SNL pump you up. Yeah, well, they probably get it from this, but oh, like yeah, actually, yeah. Schwarzenegger has this ridiculous interview from like the '80s where he's talking about the pump and said he gets the pump from sex and then he gets the pump from the workout and it's like really <laughs> crass. It's like really crass. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like kind of like oh i kind of see how this guy works now like it's all right it's all right there yeah and i, I like schwarzenegger um, but yeah you should watch that you should oh. google that oh hell yeah schwarzenegger the pump uh we're starting to wrap up and i was curious what is the last video you watched on youtube hmm. well i mean since like i, I watch news all the time uh and it's funny like i was not i was not political it was either i mean like fauci on the news um or um i like got recommended this thing on i guess unilad uh on youtube and like watch this dude who oh because i'd watched like a video of some guy who'd survived a plane plane crash and then i like got recommended this guy named marv who was like a career criminal who was shot twice in the head um oh shit and he's just like and he's got this like fucked up like glass eye and he just like looks crazy and he just told the most riveting story of being a career criminal for like 25 minutes uh i recommend that <laughs> Well, the um, YouTube algo yeah. puts you down the rabbit hole, man. You're watching like X cons, <laughs> but this is high production. This is high production. Okay, shit. it's like some channel in the lab that like it's like it's really good. It's really good, like journalistic. Uh, they just found this crazy dude, man, like lifetime criminal who's very, very strangely likable uh, and endearing and a great storyteller. I guess he's like now a motivational speaker, but he started off like, yeah, 
being a bad, bad guy. That's gnarly. But that just reminds me of this amazing, I read an amazing article that I think it was, it was in the Times about a book and the book was written about the wife of Vincent van Gogh and how were it not for this woman that was married to him when he died, like the world wouldn't have seen his work and that she actually, it was no small task for her to kind of sell the art world on his work. Um, really fascinating article about van Gogh. So I, I don't remember the name of the book. But yeah, dude, there's this woman at the center of his success that is really, it's a crazy, it was like such a long piece in the Times about. Oh, yeah. Jovan Yo- Yo- Gobonger. I-, I-, I believe that's, I'm mispronouncing her name. I'm sure I am, but yeah. And basically, what happened um, is like her descendants hadn't let the writers or just anyone have access to like kind of her private letters. And it wasn't until they uncovered like an archive that they really realized like the extent of what she had done, like writing to, to gallerists and stuff to get her, his work shown. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I keep wondering like who's going to be the Vermeer of our era, right? Because like you think about like Vermeer, he, everyone loves him, you know, Dutch neoclassicist period, amazing painter, um, kind of was like a blue collar dude, blew all of his money on paint, you know, because he was buying like just like lapis lazuli paint and all these sorts of things. Um and died and no one gave a shit about him for like hundreds of years and now people are like he's one of the greatest painters of all time and it's like i wonder who will be that person that this generation and this you know world forgets about and then all of a sudden remembers and praises later i think that's the thing i think sometimes you the public sometimes it's like a context needs to be provided for people to kind of like really appreciate an artist. And in some ways I think that context can be like fabricated to a degree, but it's like, my point is I think that there's probably many talents that have been lost to history because there was not like a, a story to hang on, on their work or some kind mm. of like selling point to give someone the, motivation to explain or contextualize why they're important to an audience Mm -hmm. that was willing to listen or be convinced. So I think a lot of variables go into that. Um, Yeah. Because yeah, I think there's probably many, many talents that we just never fucking hear about. So there's probably a lot more Vermeers than the ones that we find. Uh, But who the fuck knows? I can't imagine somebody would just throw away a bunch of paintings like Vermeers if they happen to find them in an old estate sale, I, I think. So maybe there's not that many. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe I, everything I just said is bullshit. I don't. Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel, you know, my daughter does some dope paintings. It's not going to be. It's not going to be Vermeer. But I'm like, I, I toss all those all the time. <laughs> it's like I'm sure there's other people <laughs> who do who do some great art, and people are like oh, another one. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just like it was harder to make art back then. That's the other thing. Because, like, I, I listened to this other podcast and these people were arguing the same thing. And they were just like, just like with music now, it's it's much easier and um to to make a recording and put it on and distribute it. Like, I could make a recording of me writing a song and I could have it on Spotify in, like, three days. But, like, in the late 60s and 70s, only, or, you know, even earlier, right? Like, the Elvis era stuff, like, only the the people who were, like, the best 
at writing and were discovered and how that stuff were able to like get their art out there. So who knows? I think, yeah, something about art. I was just talking to my trainer about this. Like I think a lot of times artists or musicians, maybe I'm projecting, I, I feel like other musicians should feel this way, but I kind of, you look, look at like athletics. There's an aspect that's like enviable in sport, which is that like excellence is kind of inarguable. There's some, mm. somebody runs faster than everybody else. And that is known because their time is shorter than everyone else on earth. So there's just, there's no argument that they're the greatest. And I think with music, it's so subjective. And with art, it's so subjective that like, there is no clear sense of what is best. It's just kind of like what speaks to people or what has been given the opportunity to speak to people or what has been framed to people in a way that a lot of people get behind, like I was saying a minute ago, or even just kind of like, you know, there's no like um, best songwriter or best song, whereas there is kind of like best soccer player or best runner or best uh, swimmer. Right. Well, yeah, it's because everyone has a standard that they agree on for the running or swimming, right? There's yeah. rules, but there's no rules for the best song, right? Like exactly. So maybe of a, yeah. So great talents can be overlooked and like low talents, lesser talents can maybe be heralded because there's a story. Whereas in sports, it's like, no, no, no. Like this guy jumped fucking three meters further than you. And so like, he's better. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's the end of the story. So you go into, um, what is it? Um, uh, anonymity. What's the word for kind of like sad anonymity? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, you Some fade sort into of oblivion. Like... Yeah, you fade into oblivion yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with your shitty long jump, and this guy's on the Wheaties box. <laughs> and that's <laughs> how sometimes Can I wish art was. Can you imagine that? God, that's got to be horrible. What if you, you come in, you deliver your album, you do whatever you're going to do, and someone's like, hey, man, this guy did it, and his his guitar solo was 10, sets, 10 seconds longer than yours. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> sorry, buddy. You got to go. <laughs> you got to be. Anyway. Uh, well, Paul, I've taken up a lot of your time, and it's a pleasure, I really, dude. really can't thank you enough for chatting with me. This meant a lot, and this was a lot of fun. Yeah, bro. Great talking to you, dude. All right, you too. Bye. Chosen. We're doing all right now. Thought I'd say something. You'd be proud. You've been listening to Blamo. This is Bad Feeling from Paul's recent project, Muzz. Check it out wherever you listen to music. If you like what you heard, dig through the Blamo archive. Rate us five stars, tell a friend, do what you do when you like something. You can follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or me on Instagram at The Kirkland. Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus content where the season never stops. We will return this fall with all new episodes. Until then, call someone you love, support your local, and take it easy on yourself. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. I'll talk to you soon. So long. So long.
the silence means it speed runs the whole generation torment the bees so long